0: I am Erica. I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous.
1: I am dreamer. I
0: am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am
1: entrepreneur. I
0: am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I am podcast. Learning.
1: Growing. Inspiring.
0: Welcome to the I Am podcast.
2: This series is called I Am The Band and we are so excited today. Our guest is a Mexican-American bassist who has left an indelible mark on the music industry by adding his personal touch to more than 4,000 recordings during his four decades as one of the busiest studio bassists in Los Angeles. Guitar Player magazine called him the most widely used session bassist of our time. A classically trained guitarist, he switched to bass while studying at the Berklee College of Music. In 2005, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of music by the Berklee College of Music. Well, He has an unmistakable playing style that is rhythmic and soulful, yet complex and so playful. Our guest has worked with artists such as Al Jarreau, Barbra Streisand, Chris isaac Dolly Pardon, Elton John, Herb Alpert, Herbie Hancock, Madonna, Michael Jackson, Paul Simon, whoop. Quincy Jones, Ray Charles, Ruiz Miguel, Stevie Wonder. Those are just a few. Please welcome the incredible and humble and beautiful and just groovy Mr. Abraham Laboriel.
3: Woo! Woo! What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I am glad to be here. And, uh, I want to send a beautiful message of love and gratitude to all of your Listeners, and I pray that at the end of this hour, all of us will have something permanently embedded in our hearts that we are all designed to share every day, whatever is inside that will make everybody better.
1: Oh my gosh. That's it. Okay, we're done. Okay, thanks thanks for listening.
0: (laughs) You know, I have to say, we got in here this morning and some of us had bad days already and we're kind of dragging, but we took a look at some of your YouTube videos. I haven't had the pleasure to see you in person live, but I mean, if you could have seen my reaction when I was looking at these videos. Uh, everybody it, needs to look at oh these videos. Oh my gosh. You, you, you just brought the sunshine. You you literally made my day. My whole week. Yeah.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Your,
0: your spirit, your soul, it's just radiates
1: from the inside out it, you can just it truly
3: see, does shine. it truly does <laughs> you are yeah person. i don't know if alex told you one time he came to visit did he tell you Not that true. he came to visit and i was in my room by myself and my wife says well just go in you know he, he's he's practicing so alex opens the door while i was practicing and doesn't say anything he and then when I stop practicing, he says, "Wow! I thought that that was only when we do live shows."
1: <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> you just carry
2: it all the time. Yeah, wow. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it.
3: Music moves me, you know. Music moves me, and, and it's so funny. People think Abraham, this is not a video. This is, we're just recording, man. You know what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I love it.
1: I love. Yeah, there's another time. Actually, I met you. We hadn't spoke up. I I worked at Vitello's for a short, short while. And and I I remember you came in there one time and uh, I was so excited that you were coming. But I have to say that I don't think I moved. I don't even know if I paid attention to the mix and what was going on because the moment that you got on that stage, your energy, your movement, your playing, you put so much of yourself into it. And I just looked like, oh my goodness. Okay. I've got to, I've just got to sit back and watch this. I don't know if anybody's mics are up or what's going
0: on. I mean, I can't even imagine live, like my reaction, visceral reaction, just seeing you. I, I had chills just from watching on YouTube. So it's
1: such a blessing. <laughs> You give, you give like a thousand lessons in just that it's like whatever and then you said whatever you do put yourself into it if that's what you enjoy do it to the fullest and you're teaching i mean i'm teaching i'm talking to myself right now yeah, I know. i'm gonna i'm gonna
2: stop my host here for a moment, and we're gonna focus on you we're gonna let you talk oh, yes yes <laughs> i think we're just so excited <laughs> sorry
1: Let's get this thing going.
2: Let's get this thing going. <laughs> so on that, I mean, can we t- Can you tell us your story? Obviously, this is something so deep inside of you. It must have been, I mean, planted as a child. Can you tell us like where you were born, how your upbringing was, and what is it that planted that eternal sunshine in your in your spirit and your
3: soul? Yeah, I was born and raised in Mexico City, Mexico. My parents are from Honduras, Central America. They belong to an ethnic group Called Garifuna, G A R I F U N A. And Garifuna is a word that means Black Carib. Mm. So, to make a long story short, my father moved to Mexico in the 1920s, and that allowed him to be a founding member of the Musicians Association, the Actors Association, the Composers Association, and the Film Workers Association. So, my father was there in Mexico at the beginning of all the arts. He wrote music for films. He was an actor, singer, songwriter, guitarist. And so I have, you know, we were four of us. Now there's only two of us. Two of my siblings have passed on. My brother, my older brother, was the number one rock and roll singer in Mexico in the 60s. Mm -hmm. All the American editor companies, publishing companies, would send him music for him to consider recording in Spanish. And the ones that he didn't want to to record, he would give to me as a gift. So I started from an early age, play along with American music, not realizing that someday I was gonna to move to the United States. Wow. My father was my first guitar teacher when I was six years old. Because of being mischievous, I lost the tip of my index finger on the left hand, which is the one that I will use to, to choose the chords. And so after two years, it became too hard, I quit. Then two years later, when my brother became rock and roller, I started to play by ear with records. All of that eventually, when I was 21 years old, I moved to the United States. and went to school in Boston and Berkeley as a guitarist. Then two years later, I discovered that I could play the electric bass, but the National Board of Education of the United States did not recognize the electric bass as a legitimate instrument oh, because okay. there was no classical literature written for it. Uh. Wow, wow, wow. That's part of the reason why I bow down to you and your father, Giovanni. Oh, my gosh. Which <laughs> yeah. was for you.
2: Wow. <laughs> I can't believe that, that the bass was not recognized.
3: Because... Oh, no, it wasn't. You could not get a degree in those days. I'm talking 1970. Wow. What know. about
2: the Tololoche?
3: That's different.
2: <laughs> we'll come back to that story in a minute. But let's go back to, let's go back to the it not being recognized as an instrument did you have to sort of sneak the bass into your i mean
3: my my major was composition but then i had to complete all my studies still as a guitarist in order to get the degree but the teachers allowed me to do all the ensemble work on electric bass and they taught me how to read bass clef and suddenly my life as of 1970 changed forever i was working with everybody, I even made my first recording session in the United States with uh, Gary Burton for ECM Records. And then uh, on the same studio there was this rock and roller. His name is Andy Pratt, and we recorded his album called Avenginani, which is considered a landmark for Columbia Records. When I moved to the United States, Jeff Porcaro, the drummer, says to me, "You know, Abraham Avenginani is my favorite album in the whole world." I never dreamt that I was going to meet you. and I felt really strange that uh, mm. that's how my first experience in Los Angeles was, you know. Wow. So to continue, I graduated in 72, but by then I already had been playing bass for two years. One of my teachers recommended me to do a, one night backing up Johnny Mathis Wow. As part of the Basie orchestra, mm. because Count Basie's bass player did not want to do anything but Basie's music. He says, whoever these guests are, let them bring their own bass players. So I was invited and I played. Six months later, Matthews hired me to go on the road with him. And by then, I already had finished my degree. And so I traveled with Matthews for four years. And during those four years, Matthews was sharing the stage with Michelle Legrand and Henry Mancini. And we, the rhythm station, got to play with everybody. So Henry Mancini became completely uh, my mentor. And he asked me to come to Los Angeles to do a recording session in
2: 1974.
3: Wow, as a composition. Yeah, here he, I'm he says, Abraham, there's nothing I can do for you uh, except your peers are the only ones that can help you. But I want to I want to feature you in this record and hopefully your peers would like you. And what he <laughs> wow. by that the recording session, he introduced me to Joe Sample, to it an hour. Dennis Budimir mm. to uh, Emil Richards oh, and yeah. uh, Artie Kane, all of whom said, or Harvey Mason." They all said, "Abraham, yeah, if, if you move to Los Angeles, there's there's room for another bass player. You know, we would welcome you here." Wow. But my wife was in her internship in Cleveland, so we I, we still needed to wait a year. And this is very important. I'm going to get emotional. During those two years in Cleveland, I stopped functioning as a professional musician, so that I could take care of our little boy, Abraham Jr., because my wife's internship required her to do 115 hours a week in the hospital. Oh, my goodness. If I continued to travel with Mathis, then uh, he would have felt abandoned. So we chose for me to stay home and be Mr. Mom, and that created a very special cemented relationship with Abe Jr. Mm. And very few fathers have to spend... With their sons full time between the age of two and a half and four and a half, and uh, and the rest is history. You know, we have a, f- a very strong family. So when I came uh, two years later to Los Angeles, Harvey Mason says, "Well, you know, I have Louis Johnson, and I'm very happy with him." Lyric and I says, "Well, I have Anthony Jackson, and I'm very happy with him." Joe Sample says, "Well, we have Pops Popwell, and we're very happy with him." And then everybody else had Chuck Rainey, and they were very happy with him. So there was no work for me. <laughs> oh,
2: no. Wow. wow.
3: Whoa. So, yeah.
2: and then was your wife able to find work here? In in.
3: Yeah, no, she, thank God, right? She's a pediatrician. And so uh, she did not depend on people liking her, yeah. her sound. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow. So you came to L.A. ready, you know, after, ready to sort of jump in the game. And, right, and there was no game. There was no. <laughs> right.
3: the doors. All the doors were closed. The year before, when I played with Mancini and we did that recording session featuring me, all the doors were open. A year later, no doors were open. And um, I don't know how appropriate it is for me to share this in this I am conversation, but uh, during those two years, I became born again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, my life literally made all the sense in the world from that point on. Beautiful. Then. Um, Anthony Jackson moved back to New York. Uh, Louis Johnson decided that he did not want to work with everybody. He became very uh, picky and very choosy. Chuck Rainey moved out to to Texas. Pops Popwell moved to Nashville, and so all those doors started to open again for me. I had two years in which there was no activity in LA, and it was hard. Yeah. Then uh, when the doors started to open, little did I know that. Uh, a few years later, I would have accomplished more than 4,000 recording sessions. By now, it's 5,000 recording sessions wow. in my lifetime. In LA, you know.
1: What a beautiful story. That wow. is It's a, an amazing story. I love the sacrifice that you made. And then, you know, because everyone deals with that. And I, I, it just blesses my heart so much to hear you talk about that. You know, the father-son connection. I can't get into my, yeah. own, my whole thing, but I, I very much, a, I, I feel you with that story. And uh, Mm I have a a similar thing, but, but then to develop your faith, to be born Mm. again, have that inside of you and then walk back to the situation, I'm sure probably feeling okay, now I'm ready, you know, and then what happened I guess, faith-wise, how did you feel? Did you still feel that, you know, okay, it was good. I made that sacrifice or at that moment when it seemed like, you know, the things weren't, open. the doors weren't open, how, was that, you said it was a tough two years. Did you struggle with, like, I made the wrong decision. I should have just come, how, how would, how did you, and then how did you feel once you, those doors opened? Can you talk just a little bit more about that?
3: Well, you know, in general, the audience needs to know that I am very, very emotional and not to pay attention to the fact that I am <laughs> in tears a lot, but uh, what happened is that uh, the Bible says the doors that the Lord opens, no man can close, and vice versa. You know, the yeah. doors that the Lord closes, no man can open. Yes. And so what happened is that after two years of having all the doors closed, suddenly the first person that I uh, played in Los Angeles when I moved here was Greg Matheson who had a band that played regularly at Dante's and at the Baked Potato. So I started to jam with them. They welcomed me with open arms, even though none of them could offer me work. But then one day I was sobbing for this bass player for the Tonight Show. His name was Joel DeBartolo, and we were doing Dante's. And Al Jarreau shows up, and uh, he asked me if I could audition for his record. Sure, I did not realize that uh, Al Jarreau and Greg Matheson had been very, very close friends for many years. And even though I was Greg Matheson's best player, he says to Al Jarreau, you need to come and listen to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So the next thing you know, they hired me to go to Europe for six weeks to do a live album called Jarreau Live in Europe. Oh, okay. And that was the of my official recording career in Los Angeles. Mm. Wow. We came back six weeks later. We went to Capitol Records to overdub, to do whatever cleanup we needed to do. And Tommy Lipuma and Al Schmitt said to me, you know, if you are interested in being a studio musician, you are welcome. All our doors are open for you. And, and then what happened is that because I was a brand new believer, <laughs> <laughs> I would walk to every recording session and put my Bible on the music stand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that
3: when people started to show up with the music or uh, with giving me instructions or whatever, we started to discuss what we were going to do. They said to me, why why is that Bible there? I said, oh, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Witnessed to a lot of people through the years. And uh, so my faith was strengthened, not only because I was finally able to provide for my family, but because also I was able to lovingly use my Relationship with a lot as a way of encouraging mm. people in our business. Yes. Mm. Yes.
0: They truly need it. Oh my
3: goodness. <laughs> this is really sad. Uh, sometimes people would come in, in the recording session and would say some terrible things to each other, like, you know, my mom is dying or I am dying or whatever. And the response usually was, okay, what would you like to have for lunch? You know, very, very cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of those conversations. Uh, with me, did not go that way. I would say, as well, you know, sorry to hear. Uh, I don't want to be presumptuous, but would you mind if we pray for your situation? Yes. And they said, well, uh, I'm not a believer, you know. If you want to pray, I have no objection. And I said, well, I'm going to pray. And then uh, eventually, the next time we see each other, let me know how did it go. And so all of those moments became moments to cement my relationship with our business. You know, mm-hmm. people started to call me. Another one that's gonna make you laugh is the Joe Sample, even though he liked me. He says, Abraham, we need to audition you for this record. So can you come to SIR at ten in the morning for an audition? And I showed up and by ten thirty they says, Okay, this is the address of the studio, we'll start next week. <gasps> nice.
2: Wow. <laughs>
3: It was so funny because they said, "Well, we're not sure you're right, you know." So can you come on an audition? And the next thing you know, we are all just having the time of our life. <laughs> you know, the Crusaders were a very important part of my uh, establishing myself as a studio musician.
2: I mean, your personality—first of all, your bass playing is is out of this world. Wow! But that giving, <laughs> that giving personality, I, you know, and that loving personality, and and I have a feeling that even before, you know, before you were. Born again, that that that's still probably radiated from within you. Being of Latin culture, I know that mm. I feel like there there's just a joy that we carry in our spirit sometimes, and that 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 family, what our family really implements in yeah. us, it's it's a family is I think the, one of the most important things in in that culture. And yeah, you having music around you, obviously your whole life. I mean, you you sort of have always had that that stardom uh, around you. And so to remain so humble and always have that joyful outlook, even though you said it was very difficult through those through those two years. I mean, I can attest to the fact that I only started working with you in the last maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. But every time I see you walk in the room, it's just like literally like you have a halo of light around you. And, you know, I don't know that it's just your faith. I really think it's your spirit and your soul. I think it's something that you carry within you that radiates and I just, you know, do you, do you feel that joy outside of just your faith, the, the joyfulness that you exude? Is that, are you conscious of that?
3: Well, yes. Um, but also, I am aware that uh, the Lord truly made me that way because, um, I mean, you can interpret this in many different ways, but my mom says that when I was very small, Sometimes she would forget to feed me, and I was always in a good mood, you know. Mm. <laughs> I, not normal. Babies usually, when, when they are hungry, they scream, you know.
0: Yes. Uh, I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not normal. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, one time we were on the road with Patrice Russian, and she says, man, They better feed us. They don't want to know what I become when they don't feed. (laughs)
2: That's so true. That's a good one. We're going to bring that up. We're going to be interviewing Patrice as well. So I'm going to, yeah, yeah, remember that one. your
1: connection with food?
3: (laughs) You, you, my love, always. (laughs) They don't want to know what I become. You know. So my disposition has been generally that way. But then when I got to know the Lord, you know, something about the joy that is in you, be prepared to answer for that joy that is in you, Mm -hmm. to tell people, you know, why are you so joyful? Why nothing seems to bother you? Why do you have a good attitude? And so I am conscious of the facts, the things that are supposed to make me bitter or resentful, or what most people call human, they don't seem to have as much of an impact in me because I know that uh, all the credit does not go to me. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, my brother who died said to me once, it was one of the really wise moments, he says, Abraham, don't get angry because then you have to work twice as hard to get at peace again. <laughs> wow.
0: So true. Wow. Wow.
3: And so when, when you're tempted to really feel it's time for me to fly off the handle, and tell everybody what I think about them. I remember that means that you are putting yourself in a position where you have to work twice as hard to go to go back to the place where you are at peace. Mm-hmm. You know. And remember when we study music, they talk about dissonance and consonance, and they say dissonance are intervals that are not stable, that are fighting to return to a peaceful place. You know. So even in our career as musicians, music. He's encouraging us to return to a peaceful place. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's always man. getting
2: back to that. I love <laughs> that. Wow,
0: <laughs> It's so true. Yeah. And definitely those two years, God was preparing you for being a vessel and, and speaking the good news to everybody that needed to hear it. So I agree. And you probably had no idea what he was doing in you. And now you're just such a light through your music, through everything. It, you just radiate peace and love so, and joy. I'm going to
3: share another special miracle with you guys. When I first became a believer, I was recording a Christian record with a guitarist who at the time was considered the most important studio musician in the history of Los Angeles. And he had just become a believer himself. So to to keep a perspective, he had been a wild studio musician (laughs) and had been chosen by the Manson family to be killed, right? At that point, when he realized that, that, that he was next to be killed, he says, I got in my car. I was high with all kinds of drugs. I got in my car on Laurel Canyon and I started to drive as, to get away from there as fast as I could. And I remember crashing with cars on both sides of Laurel Canyon until I made it to Ventura Boulevard. And then from that point on, I just desperately was looking for something that had nothing to do with drugs, something that would be peace. So he joined all different kinds of cults and eventually he found Jesus. Wow. And he says to me, you know, you're a new believer, Abraham. And that's beautiful. He says, the Lord has given me, because of what I went through, a special discernment that when I listen to music coming from speakers in the restaurants or in the elevators, I can discern what's, what are the spirits that are playing the music. Ooh,
0: Absolutely and the Lord, you can. Yes.
3: <laughs> the Lord says, do not make yourself available anymore to do any music but Christian music, because you have a discernment and, uh, and you would be harming yourself if you start going back in your old ways. And then he says to me, but you, Abraham, you are not like me. You are a brand new believer. You don't need to do what I do. You need to fall in love with the voice of Jesus and do what he tells you. Because he's going to send you into the industry, not like he has sent me before. Mm. where I was doing drugs and partying with everybody all the time, he's going to send you with a different message for all the musicians and artists and producers. And that was so liberating to me that he was telling me, yes, I am a certain kind of Christian, but you don't have to be the kind of Christian that I am. You need to believe in the Lord. That is
2: so powerful. How old were you at that point?
3: Let me see. We moved in. In '76, and I was 33. No, in '76 I was 29. So I was 31, 32 years old.
2: Wow, to to just really have that type of focus when the doors are opening up to you.
3: When I met that guitarist, we were recording. Bill was the drummer.
2: (laughs) Oh, Oh, he knows he can feel it.
3: (laughs) <laughs>
2: Man. Um, yeah, being 31, I mean, at that point, now you already have a son, right? Right. And your wife is busy, a career woman and that time, I'm sure, is also, you know, was an anomaly in some ways. I don't know how many female pediatricians. The
3: fellowship at UCLA, it was amazing, the, the transitions that we went through. But, you know, at some point we needed to decide when we were in Cleveland, because during those two years in Cleveland, I did not do music officially. So we had to decide to go either to New York or to LA. And I wanted to go to New York because I love McCoy Tyner, right? Very important decision. My wife went and she uh, interviewed different hospitals in New York and and she says, you know, I don't like New York for us to raise our family. So then we came to Los Angeles and obviously it was the right decision.
2: Although, like you said, maybe you didn't feel that in that moment for you because.
3: Yeah, I never got a chance to record with McCoy.
1: But that yet speaks again to the person that you are focused on family. You're, you're trying to make the whole unit move forward. And your wife says, you know what? And you, you actually, I, I read this. Another thing you're about listening. Oh, my gosh. You have some great. You have to talk more about that. How you feel, <laughs> how you feel about, about just listening amazing you're just an amazing person you're you're very sensitive to so many things and trying to move everything forward not just yourself it's just apparent
3: (laughs) you know think about it brand new believer right running into this guy who is a living legend the most beloved guitarist in the history of los angeles and the most normal thing would have been for him to say you know now that you're a believer let me disciple you i want you to be like me the fact that he says you know no (laughs) that's that's what the Lord wants from me you need to figure out what the Lord wants from you that was so freeing mm-hmm. and that you can tell that the hand of the Lord was upon my life for, for that man to not take advantage of the fact that I was willing to do whatever he said
1: wow Abe yeah. hey, oh my goodness you just you know, there's so many things we could talk about where we have to stay on you I guess that's, that's that's in, that, and the fact that you notice that, and yes, that happens a lot today. There's so many people mm-hmm. that are grabbing new believers, and they don't mm-hmm. really give them a chance to grow in the Lord. They say, "No, this is what the Lord wants for you. This is what we need oh, to gosh. do," and then the people never really develop that that relationship. Yeah, that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Man. to be
0: that discerning at that age, I I can remember yeah. my 30s. I was definitely not that wise, uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. to make those kind of Mature decisions, yeah, and and so selfless, yes. Yeah,
1: and that—that was obviously the voice of the Lord, and not only that, like two different paths. Most people are think, okay, we're Christians, we're all going in this path, and he said, "No, I could see the Lord has your hand to go in to a place that I can't even go because I'm 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 too I'm too weak in that area." Wow. Woo. Okay.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about your playing. I, yes. For me, I'm the odd one out, so I'm not a musician. but Please. I, I'm not. Dancer. I'm a dancer. So music is a part of my life. But just seeing you play and uh, Gio pointing out how you play the bass like a d- guitar, it's it's incredible. Did you actually think about that, like, yeah, this is going to be my style, or it just kind of naturally came out that way, because you definitely have a a unique style.
3: It was natural. natural. Um, You know, from the time my father started to teach me to play guitar at the age of six, it became the only spiritual language that I knew.
0: Mm.
3: So I would spend a lot of time by myself in the room, and You know, the first thing my father taught me how to play was a D chord, right? And, you know, you know. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Where are you from? (laughs) (laughs) So right away, I knew that all of music was divided in two parts, the um and the papa. Um um, 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 and that's a bass line. Many musicians don't know that they think that uh, it's all the same. And the papaya. So I knew from a very early age that this is not a bass line. This is a bass <laughs> line. <laughs>
0: I'm getting educated right now. Yeah.
3: I love it. So because of spending so much time by myself, and playing along with records, I would try to get my hand strokes more active. Giovanna came one time for a quick lesson and I started to do, you know, (coughs)
2: Watching so the basic way
3: <laughs> became uh, natural to me, but then the discernment that you're talking about, Erica, has yes. to do with when people hire me, they hire me to play the um and not the papa.
0: Ah, <laughs> ah. Um, No papa.
3: <laughs> so whenever people hire me to play, I knew that all I had to do was, uh, you know. Da da di da di I do not have to go, you know? It would it cross over to areas that belong to other musicians, you know. Yeah. And that also helped a lot for me to have many, many doors open because not only was I playing in a way that was unorthodox, but I was fulfilling the function of being the bass player. Mm.
0: And you knew right away that set you apart.
3: And And you know, uh, who was I talking to It might have been Chuck Rainey, but he says, you know, Abraham, the worst thing that anybody can tell you is that it looks like you and me need a bass player.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to everyone tuned in to the I Am The Band podcast. We're having so much fun with this. Please make sure to tune in next week for part two as we talk more with Abe Laboriel about his life and legacy.
2: Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at IamMusicGroup.com.